And Scott joins us right now on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Hello, sir. How are you? Scott A. I'm good. What's going on, guys? All right. Did Kevin Stefanski become a moron because people just want him fired today? And they wanted him fired yesterday on our postgame show. And I am finding myself in a position where I'm defending the head coach, even though I disagree with some of the things he does. Yeah, that's kind of where I am, Jeff. Um, I haven't reached a point where I think he's not the guy. Uh, there's certainly questions. There's certainly play calls and maybe issues and game plans that I don't agree with. Um, but I'm not ready to bail on him. You know, um, I still think he is smart. I get the, I get the frustration from fans. I get the questioning, the especially that fourth and one in the first quarter that didn't make really any sense. Um, but I still think there are positives with Kevin Stefanski. Okay, lay them out. Give me three or four of them. Because I know <laughs> I mean, people are like, oh, Scott, why is Scott saying that? So right. give me three or four positives. Yeah, I mean, I do think he's smart. I, I think if you look at the whole season, um, I think overall he's called good plays. You know, we can all quibble with a handful or 10 or 12, but, uh, you know, the offense moves the ball with its backup quarterback most of the year was scoring in the top 10, which Kobe reset at quarterback. That goes to Kevin Stefanski. He's a play caller. It's his system. I, I know people get frustrated because there's not a ton of emotion, but there is some emotion, but he's also even keel. And I, I think that is important as a head coach. You have to have stability. You have to, you can't be on a roller coaster as a head coach. And I think that's something he does well. Uh, you know, now my biggest question about Kevin is probably how does he come across in the locker, right? Are the guys still buying in? Does he have, their complete attention. And I don't have any reason to believe he doesn't, but that's something it's hard for us to tell on a day-to-day basis, you know, cause we don't see that emotion out of him. Um, but like on Sundays with the exception of those play calls that I know everybody likes to focus on, um, I, I think he does a fine job. Scott Petrax joining us. I, you drafted a field goal kicker, Scott. And Andy and I have talked about that fourth down play like crazy. Isn't the simple thing to do? You're playing the team that went to the Super Bowl. That's won four straight. That has Joe Burrow. Don't you put up some points there? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be surprised that they didn't, right? Because no, I guess going in three years that that's what they do. They go for touchdowns, especially on short yardage situations, right? You think you can pick up third and one or fourth and one or fourth and one. Um, but I understand your point. I think where the miscalculation, I mean, besides the play call, right? But I think the miscalculation was they thought it was going to be a high-scoring game. They thought it would be tough to stop Joe Burrow and the Bengals' offense, and they would need touchdowns when it turned out to be not a high-scoring game. And the Bengals wound up missing T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and they were already without Hayden Hurst. And it was a game where those three points would have mattered more, right? And I get it. I get when you're playing the Chiefs, right? You're playing those high-power teams. Touchdowns, you have to get seven versus three. And that's what Kevin Stefanski was thinking. But in reality, the three points would have been more important. So I don't kill him for doing that because I expect him to do it, and I think the numbers tell you to do it. Um, my bigger issue was the Jacoby reset and then the decision to throw deep. And I don't know if it was Jacoby's decision to throw deep there or that was the actual play call, um, but that was not the right call when you needed one yard in that situation and unless you're going to sneak it with Jacoby, why not keep Watson in? And then I think you have so many more options 
is a play caller. He could scramble. He could do whatever you want. He could run the option with Nick Chubb. Um, so I didn't like how that played out at all. Especially when we saw that play come up later in the game, and that that was a, I thought it was a really well designed play where it was a fake to Chubb, and then Watson rolled out around the corner to pick up short yardage. You know, and I was like, man, why didn't they just run that play earlier on in the game? Sure, because you wouldn't be yeah. in that same situation. Um, I said this to Jeff earlier. Is there a, is there a parachute for Kevin at the end of the season if the Heat is super on over these next four games and it gets worse to just say, look, I, I understand maybe I need to rethink the way I coach and what my priorities are and and the priorities of this organization and team from the football standpoint. I'm going to let um, uh, Van Pelt call all the plays and I'm going to go back to a bigger picture head coach and just try to take over some of the defense and make sure that we're you know uniform across the board as I'm a head coach. Like I see that as being a parachute for him if you ever wanted to jump out of the plane and try to fix this for next season and right. buy, him, buy him some time. I don't know that he has to do that, but it would work, I think. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. Um, yeah, I, I think, to me, what's a more likely scenario is, okay, we're going to get rid of defensive coordinator Joe Woods and special teams coordinator Mike Prefer and fix it that way. Um, I, I don't. I think Kevin Stefanski is fine as a play caller. I mean, better than fine. I don't like. I don't think that solves everything. I is, agree with you on that. Okay, turn it over to Alex Van Pelt. Like, I, I think Stefanski again, fourth down and fourth and one to the side, right? Like, I mean, there's plenty of exceptions I could point to, but you take a step back. I think he's done a good job as a play caller, and I don't think him looking at that play sheet when they show him on TV is detracting. Like, I don't think that leads to the Tony Fields roughing the punter, right? Like. I don't think that leads to Isaiah Thomas's illegal hands to the face. That was a huge play, right? Like, I don't think because he's not more involved in the defense and special teams, which really on game day he is. I mean, he's listening to everything in the headset. It's not like he's only focused on the offense. Um, I, I just think that aspect gets blown out of proportion. Jamar Chase had a big game. Yeah. If, if he's not in the top three wide receivers in the NFL, he's in the top five. I mean, he's really good. And I've had more than a few people make make bad comments about Denzel's work as a result of that. Was that a Denzel issue? Was it a defensive issue? Was it you're going up against one of the best guys? Is Denzel overrated? I, I like him. I think he's good. I, I think your defense is better when you have a guy like Denzel. But obviously, he and the defense had a rough time with Chase. They did. I mean, Chase had a big game. And he's really good, like you said. Um I think Denzel's a really good player. I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber player. Now, the Browns usually don't have him travel with the number one guy. You know, they usually do a lot of sides. Um, But Denzel traveled with Chase a lot yesterday. So a lot of Chase's production is on Denzel Ward. Now, I don't know if it's fair to say you should limit Jamar Chase to, you know, two catches for 12 yards. That seems unrealistic, but it should be less than 10 for whatever, 114 or 118, whatever the number was. Um, so I put part of that in Denzel with the knowledge that it's a really difficult matchup. I do question with Higgins and Boyd out why the Browns couldn't do a better job minimizing minimizing what Chase is able to do. Right, more double teams. You know, I know you can't just double them every possession or every down because then you sacrifice a guy in run defense, and we know the Browns have struggled there. Um, but I think in, I'm not saying they never doubled him because from the press box you can see on some plays, and even when he was doubled, he made some catches. But 
I think you could have done as a defense that, hey, we're really going to focus on trying to take him away and make Burrow and the run game beat you as opposed to his number one option. And I don't think defensively they did a good enough job there in saying, hey, we're going to put extra attention on Jamar Chase. What do you what do you expect then from Deshaun Watson moving forward here over the last four games? I mean, what are we? I mean, the odds of them making the postseason are, are nil. I mean, they're right. they're minuscule, like one percent. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so what's the goal here for the next four games? Yeah, I think the goal is when the season ends on whatever January, whatever that day is in Pittsburgh ninth, um, that you feel like Watson is either at two thousand twenty level or really close and that there's not going to be there's not going to need to be a ramp up period when next season starts and i think that's a realistic expectation he's already got two games there's four left that's a lot of time right it's a lot of snaps and there was i thought significant improvement yesterday but it wasn't good enough obviously from the number of points scored number one the bad interception number two and then i'm re-watching the game now and i'm I don't know, somewhere in the second quarter and there's a couple plays, and they pointed it out on TV, where he misses guys. He just doesn't see them. He's got Michael Woods running a deep crossing route in the first quarter. He's got Amari Cooper running one against the Blitz. And you know that the Blitz is coming, and he doesn't get the ball out of his hands to Cooper, which seems like an easy read. He's running a shallow cross right in front of his face. So he's still not where he needs to be from a seeing-the-field perspective. There's some timing issues. We saw it on the fourth down in the fourth quarter with Cooper. Um, so you need to get those resolved, and you need him to be back at the comfort level he was in 2020. And uh, to me, that's the storyline for the rest of the season. Scott, when Kevin Stefanski came in, it seemed like, okay, here, here's the, the trio that, that these guys want in place. You have Paul De Podesta, you have Andrew Barry, you have Kevin Stefanski. If anybody thought of making changes – is that a package deal, or does somebody get singled out? I don't think it's a package deal. Um, okay. I think Kevin could get singled out. Um, you know, you got to flash back to when they were put together, right? Paul De Podesta was here before either of those other guys. Yeah. Um, Kevin Stefanski was hired before Andrew Barry, so it wasn't Andrew Barry's decision. So, you know, if it goes really sideways and if ownership – is looking to make a major move, then I think there are, I think there's a way to split it up. And I don't know if that's, you know, my thought is it would be the pedestrian Barry on one side and Stefanski on the other side. Um, but I don't know that for certain. I know the pedestrian loved Kevin Stefanski, right? He thought about hiring him the year before. Um, so maybe it would be the pedestrian Stefanski, you know, that seems awkward, but um, I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's three musketeers, and I don't think it's all or nothing. All right, buddy. Reach that point. Uh, look forward to hearing your voice during Kevin's press conference. Thanks, fellas. All right, Scott Petrak. Thanks, Scott. He joins us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline.